Hello and welcome to We Bought a Mic, a pop culture podcast coming to you once again, socially distant via Zoom. We love to be in quarantine. It's settling in. It's nice and cozy. We're smelly. Not enough people are talking about how smelly everybody is. Can I, I- listen? I'm I'm talking about it to myself. I smell <laughs> I smell unbelievably bad right now. It is it is uh, it is rough. I hope that uh, your podcast app does not have smello 4D vision, because um, otherwise, I'm sorry. I'm just glad I still have a chiropractor appointment twice a week. So that gives me two days a week that I for sure have to shower. Otherwise, it would be rough out there. Yeah. And once it gets to the point where I'm, I just like, I can't take the, the scent of myself anymore. I'm just like, God, what, what am I doing with my life? I need, to, I need to scrub, scrub deep. Welcome to the show. I'm Ernest. I am here with my doggy, Hunter. And I'm actually Drew, uh, because I have a little announcement. I've been living a lie for quite a while uh, with this podcast, um, and I, I decided to finally change that because I had never until just yesterday bought a mic. Oh, my God. That explains the sweet, sweet fidelity that I hear. Yeah, I, I bought a mic. And I'm starting to understand why we called our podcast that because I enjoyed buying a mic. So now I'm associating that with happy feelings, which is what you'd want our audience to associate it with, you know? I think we're, if you think about it, we're in the golden age of podcasting right now. Everybody's scrambling to figure out how to buy a mic and which mic and whether you even should. Yeah. Why it's, buy a mic? It's like it's like uh, toilet paper. Like if you try to buy a mic right now, it's <laughs> just uh, you have to show up at Sam Ash at like seven a.m. and break in. And <laughs> I mean, I I I know from personal experience. I tried to buy a mic, and it was like cool. It'll be delivered in like twenty twenty four, maybe. Oh uh, man, that mic. So I had to go buy the Pod Host Studio. Ernest had to. And put it in a Ziploc bag and leave a mic out in his mailbox for me to drive by and pick up with my hazmat suit on. So yeah. That's the only way. I held and it I out with like, have, like I, I had like a 12 foot long fishing pole where I, I cast it over to you. Yeah. <laughs> Much like Animal Crossing, which we're not talking about today. That was last week. Check out think, that episode. That's what you do with Animal Crossing. You think it's just like putting things on fishing poles and like throwing it at people? I I don't know. I I am I am confused and I don't under I don't Ernest. I don't get how you can critique the nature of Animal Crossing when you played through Red Dead Two. A <laughs> <laughs> bigger waste of two hundred hours of your life. Is my hey point. man, I I loved hearing the clops of my horse's horseshoes on the cobblestone. <laughs> Red Dead Two, the uh, the Lion King twenty nineteen of games. Yes, <laughs> I know for a fact that you just got elated every time you saw that that marker went on the other side of the map, and you're like, "Cool, I got a good forty five minutes until I get to my location. I, I can just." trot along here i'm not gonna lie so much of that game i would just hold down x and just look at my phone and just scroll through twitter and that's (laughs) that's called gaming baby (laughs) 
That's called prestige That's entertainment. called having two thumbs. <laughs> a mark of a great game. All right, now I'm interested. All right, boys, let's get into the news this week. We have a little bit of catch-up to talk about today uh, with some things that we've been watching. We'll get to that at the end of the episode, but there's a couple of news items that I want to get into because we're in, what, week four, five, six of quarantine, depending on when you actually started to self-isolate, um, depending on I believe where that this is, this is the sixth episode of, well, the sixth week of podcast that we've done isolated. Okay. If I'm looking backwards on my doc and counting correctly. There you go. There you go. So things are settling in. And it's been a little while since we've done a little check-in with the state of Hollywood in the pandemic. Um, And we've had a lot of developments actually even today in terms of like how movie releases schedules and just Hollywood in general has been shaking up. So we have a couple things that I want to hit. And I just kind of, I kind of want to start with Netflix because, you know, the streaming wars of it all with Apple TV and Disney Plus and the Peacock and HBO Max around the corner. And don't forget about Quibi. Oh, everybody. Never forget forget about Quibi. Everybody was. Who? I think it's Joe Jonas. Maybe it's Nick. Oh my God. Yeah. I saw ads for that. It's called cup of Joe. Yeah, yeah, I was like, I was like, they came together. <laughs> oh man, um, I I don't even know if Quibi is even a real thing, but um, everybody was trying to bet against Netflix and saying that the end of Netflix was around the corner because the competition was just too much, and lo and behold, as of this week, not only did Netflix report an increase in subscribers in quarter one of 2020, but for a couple of days, maybe just a a, a day, their market value price was higher than Disney's for the first time ever. And their stock shares hit a a record, a record uh, high of, I believe, um, I think it was like over $300 a share, almost $400 a share or something like that on April, uh, like in the middle of April. So first question for you guys, what do you think about Netflix, like somehow gaining business and doing better in the middle of the pandemic? I mean, I, I, I guess that this would happen whenever we first started to go into quarantine is that you'd see a bunch of spikes just because I mean, there's nothing else out for people to do. And especially because Disney plus is also doing really well right now with subscribers and stuff, because as much as we like to think that people are at home uh, catching up on bear call Saul and the wire and everything else, uh, most people are stuck at home with their kids and Netflix and Disney plus have a lot of, television and movies based for children things that they can be like adults can be like dear god please give me a break sit down and watch trolls the beat goes on the netflix troll series or whatever the hell so and also you 
are yeah, watching these me. things. I'm caught up season seven. Here we go. Season um, seven? I have Dear no idea. God. There's, there's a lot of seasons of it. Dear God, don't even give me. I can't. I don't have the mental energy for it. Um, but it just makes sense. And also Netflix, they wrap all of their movies and everything so far ahead of time that they, they're just going to release it straight on the platform anyways. So they're kind of not missing a beat right now where everybody else in the movie industry is scrambling. I mean, apparently uh, Mank, the David Fincher film that's supposed to be coming out in November is already finished. Yeah, They're just kind of like, waiting on it and there's like we'll release it in six months from now so get ready for that so i mean they just haven't missed a beat so it makes sense for them that they are peaking right now and it also uh the i've read a lot about how the the sequential like the timing of quarantine starting and then tiger king coming out Mm -hmm. uh yeah has was genuinely like a boon for them because they were finally the single thing that everyone was talking about again uh, in in the in the biggest way since Stranger Things season one, uh, when it was just it was the culture for a month, um, and so I, plenty of people, you know, were like, okay, I'll you know, let me, you know, just for the quarantine month, let me just give them ten bucks. You know? And I think I think you know we obviously don't see Netflix's numbers of viewership, but I I feel like that type of internet conversation, the the clicks the hits the 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 keyword uh hits that's more valuable than actual viewership you know because you could have a show that gets insane numbers and viewership but if nobody's talking about it online it might not be as valuable to netflix so something like tiger king that's just getting insane numbers of keyword hits and shares online maybe isn't the i mean i i think it, it was number one on their little top 10 for a while, but that top 10 is probably not as valuable to them as the, the, the internet conversation. Yeah, around the it. buzz. Imagine someone, uh, someone like in March of this year being like, all right, I'll bite. What is Netflix? <laughs> <laughs> what is it like a, a video I get in the mail? Okay. That's weird. So Hutter, you just brought up Mank and that kind of segues into the next point, which is like the idea of, um, you know, how studios are handling their release schedules for this year. Obviously, the, the big story uh, when the lockdown happened and the virus started, you know, going full sicko mode on this shit um, was that movies were indefinitely just postponed. Some a couple months, some a year. Um, and Mank is, is holding steady. And there's just now the the dust is sort of starting to settle a little bit, and and we're in, in a little bit of a different perspective than we were a month ago with this topic of of movie releases. So obviously, Mank has its its release date set; it's in the can. They're going to release it, but you look at the movies that didn't come out the past month, things like Mulan and A Quiet Place Two, that in an alternate reality. Uh, we would have already seen, and we just didn't. Uh, this week would have been the release of Black Widow this week. And now that's not supposed to come out until November is is the new date. So the next question I wanted to ask you guys is, you know, given that now from the release of Spider-Man Far From Home 
to the new release of Black Widow, that'll be the biggest gap in MCU release dates since the MCU started. How do you guys feel that these release date changes and, you know, we don't know what's going to happen. We might even have to wait longer than November for Black Widow. But do you think that this is going to have an impact on like whether people are interested in certain movies or are people just going to be rabid? Give me fucking Black Widow. I don't care. Give it to me. Like, how do you, how do you predict things shaking up with that? How many people do you know that were that hyped about Black Widow before it got delayed? Like nobody. (laughs) Okay. So that kind of, that kind of says everything. But people still see it, you know? They, it was, they'll yeah, go... it was still going to be seen by everybody. Right. It's still going to be seen by a lot of people, but I feel like... I but mean... if, there's the, if their health is a factor, you know, it's like that's the dance that's going to start to play out. And we'll see that with Tenet. Tenet is the last stronghold. Tenet is the only big release that hasn't been pushed back. It is still slated for its July uh, release. So we're going to see, like, who's going to be those people that go see Tenet with fucking masks and gloves and hazmat suits on. But when you look at something like Mulan, you know, Mulan is supposed to come out, what, November, December, something like that? I don't, I don't even know. Like, how are we supposed to rebuild the hype for some of these movies? Are people even going to care? Well, I think that it's what's going to happen is that we are going, we're having this extreme lull in the movie industry, unlike anything that we've had in the last 40 years, 50 years, pretty much since movies became more mass produced. Um, And I think that that's kind of just going to lead, it's going to end up splitting the market share of people who would go to the theater across all these different things just because if you're like especially if you're somebody who has a family of four for example so you're like okay I have myself my significant other and my children that's a hundred dollars right there I could go see Black Widow or also Mulan comes out next week and then there's this movie the week after I can't afford to pay like a hundred dollars each time I do that that's where you're going to see it is it's going to be the I feel like movie theaters themselves will do pretty well overall, but I think that the market share is going to get split between so many things. I mean, we talk about it all the time with the summer movie wager and stuff. Whenever we're picking out which movies to pick is that we're just like, okay, well, if I get this movie, no other big release comes out for three weeks afterwards. So it can collect all that main revenue. It can be the number one movie at the box office for this many weeks in a row. And that's just not going to happen. Yeah, because of the pileup. Exactly. Right. But I think that the, 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 the thing that I, that I'm really more interested in is like, are people even going to be interested in some of these movies? Are we just going to get inundated with ads for a quiet place too and Mulan to, think, to like rebuild that hype? I think that, uh, a movie like A Quiet Place 2 will not suffer too many consequences from this uh, upon its like eventual release because uh, A, this quarantine gives people more time to watch the first one if they have not. Okay, uh, good point. 
and B, this is a, it's in a little uh, niche that there aren't many movies within where it is a mass appeal, uh, popular, you, I guess you would just call it a horror film uh, with a very high profile director who is one of, you know, the only celebrities who's managed to stay very famous during this quarantine. So congrats to you. Oh, Krasinski. So, so, so epic and wholesome uh, how you managed to still be in the spotlight. Uh, very that cool stuff. Brave of him to be in quarantine with Emily Blunt. Wow. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, so I, I don't see that one being hurt. I see a lot of smaller releases suffering massively. Uh, yeah. Like the, the types of movies that were, you know, on the fence if they were going to do well or not anyway, just because of things like, uh, you know, securing rights and uh, distribution and advertising budgets. Uh, they will suffer hard. A lot of them will probably end up, if they have any theatrical run whatsoever, it'll end really fast and they will end up on a streaming service, hopefully. Well, that uh, leads us to the next point I wanted to build to, to bring up, which is, is this the end of the studio comedy? Because this is a genre that had been on life support for a while. And I think the last time we had a, a, classic studio comedy do well with a theatrical release was the big sick which was three years ago i i can't remember another one doing financially successful without being like an action hybrid type deal just a just a studio comedy with you know movie stars driving it and not a franchise brand so griffin newman of the Blank Check podcast at Griff Lightning on Twitter uh, has a great little thread if you go on his Twitter uh, where he's talking about this very thing. And he listed all of the movies that have now, that had uh, theatrical releases and are now going straight to video on demand or streaming. Dave Bautista's My Spy, no. Kumail's, Kumail's The Lovebirds, Seth Rogen's An American Pickle, uh, Melissa McCarthy's Super Intelligence, and most notably, Pete Davison's and Judd Apatow's The King of Staten Island. That's a big one. Yeah. Well, I mean, this is some, like, I feel like this isn't necessarily new. Like, we've been saying for a while, like, that seems like the, if you want to make a comedy these days, it just doesn't make financial sense to pump $50 million into it. That, that's why I feel like the new, the new normal is going to be either put it straight on Netflix, which Netflix is trying to corner the market on rom-coms and on low, lower budget comedies that are mass appeal, even if they aren't very good. Um, a lot of them, I won't say all of them are bad, but, um, they're very mass appeal or maybe we'll see some kind of a franchise, not a 24 per se, but some kind of a smaller studio. Annapurna but, maybe. Yeah. And Annapurna maybe Annapurna has put out comedies in the past that they'll try book and just smart. Be, yeah. Book smart. Just be like, here's the deal. You can make a comedy with us. It will go to theaters. So it won't go straight to VOD or anything. Here's $5 million. Here's $10 million to make your movie. And I think that those movies don't do well at the box office is the problem. And then studios have less faith in making them on a, on a substantial scale. 
that Perna has a bunch of issues, uh, specifically with their marketing and also their releasing schedule. Is yeah. Always has head scratching ideas. I mean, Booksmart came out like the worst possible time of year for it to come out, sandwiched in between huge, huge blockbuster movies. That movie didn't really have a chance. Um, I don't want to get too sidetracked, but to go back to something that you said earlier about uh, movies getting swallowed up and what the movie landscape is going to be, I'm a little bit worried about our friends at A24 through all of this because. Saint Maud specifically was coming out a horror movie. It was supposed to come out in April, uh, but right like three weeks before the Wave of a Quiet Place, and now it's coming out in last week of October, I believe. So it's trying to capitalize on the Halloween spooky time of year, but you're gonna have a Quiet Place. You're gonna have more of the bigger budget studios that are coming yeah. in. We had something like Minari. Now that's going to come out in like mid-November, late November, when every other studio is pushing out these other movies. And I feel like movies like that, that are very unique and original, might get completely swallowed up. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I'm looking at the only other kind of, uh, I guess, studio comedy-esque movies that haven't been uh, confirmed to go straight to, to streaming are the Bill and Ted sequel and the coming to America sequel, which you could argue that those are franchise movies because they're sequels. Right. Yeah. But the, the, the issue we're looking at now is the fact that because of the pandemic studios are realizing that they don't want to take the chance with these movies and they would rather just dump them on streaming and take what they can get and that the gamble is not worth it for this type of movie, which is sad because that just means that they're, they're just not going to, it's not going to be a viable business decision to make, to, to green light these movies. You know, you're looking at, at the movies that they are going to take a chance on like the black widows and you know, all the big, big franchise entries and more than anything, uh, we're just going to lose out on the smaller movies like we have been doing. It's just being accelerated. Yeah. Cause it's, well, as far as big studio comedies go, uh, they were on the way out already. Like exactly. you said, and a large part of that was because uh, comedic taste is one of the things that the internet has fractured more than ever before. Like there, there is no consensus sense of humor uh, in mm -hmm. America anymore. And there was in the early 2000s, you can see it. It's humor made for white men. Yeah. Uh, because like those were the only powerful people with voices in Hollywood. Uh, and now uh, it's overall a really good thing because those movies are not very good. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> they're, they're low quality movies. And now we are getting, uh, as far as like big studio comedies go, we're getting a lot of slightly higher quality movies that are for a wide swath of different types of people so the market share is just not there uh and i'm fine with that because small comedies are as a whole funnier uh i, I i'm fairly certain if you added up the budgets of maybe my 10 favorite comedy movies you would probably equal the budget for the hangover mm -hmm. you know and and you know you take into account things like uh youtube and uh, and and streaming tv and things like that like it's not just happening 
in a movie format anymore. So the audience that is looking for their type of comedy is not necessarily going to find it in a studio comedy anymore. Um, it, it's a lot harder to, to get that connection to happen. So the, the last point I wanted to get to in the news here is these new uh, Academy rules for the Oscars. And this was a super last minute addition to the docket because this, this happened just today, right before we started recording. The Academy um, announced new eligibility rules for the Oscars next year, where it seems like temporarily they're going to allow non-theatrical films to be eligible for Oscars. So before the rules was that you could be a Netflix movie, you could be the Irishman or marriage story, but you had to premiere in a movie theater to be eligible for Oscars. And apparently they're, they're waiving that requirement, at least for this Oscar season where I was reading the article and it seems like, if you had a theatrical release planned and it was canceled and you go to streaming, then you're eligible to be considered for Oscars. Uh, also, they announced that like the sound categories are being uh, consolidated into one. Um, but I just kind of wanted to get your, you guys' take on this, on like how you guys think that the, the Oscars are going to, uh, be affected by these new rules and and you know are we looking at a at a trolls two best picture run here so, so that's what i was gonna say congratulations to trolls world tour on winning the the 94th <laughs> annual academy awards um re- 93rd annual excuse me uh i'm really happy for the whole gang at uh dreamworks Sony, I don't know. It's DreamWorks. It's DreamWorks, I was right. Yeah, it's got Spielberg written all over it. Um, <laughs> also, RIP to all of the uh, all of the film nerds out there who like got off on explaining the difference between sound editing and sound mixing <laughs> at their various Oscar parties, um, <laughs> ourselves included. Yeah, we always so, got it wrong. <laughs> we always mix them up. <laughs> so that's good. Um, but I mean, it makes sense that they're going to do this. It would be such a dick move for them, for people, especially studios. They're like, we have to have a quick turnaround on this thing. We have to get this thing out. People are desperate. They will watch this movie. For that to be completely ineligible because movie theaters are closed just doesn't make sense. I don't think this is going to be the norm. I feel like this will be a one-year thing. Yeah. But I could be wrong on that. I mean, we'll see. I, I feel like things like this have the potential to set a precedent, you know? So so they, it might be a, a turning of the tides, but um, I guess we'll cross that bridge when we get there. But for now, let's let's get to catch up, boys. And it looks like Drew uh, watched a little uh, improv comedy on Netflix. You, you saw that written there on the list and you literally just guessed that it was me, didn't you? Yeah. Yeah, and you were right. So guess what? It was me. It was no. me. Did you see it? Uh, no, I had it on there, but I I, just- I, I saw. Uh, so it looks like you saw episode one of Middleditch and Schwartz, right? Just yes. the first. So Thomas Middleditch, uh, the star of Silicon Valley and every single Verizon commercial from the past like five yeah. years, <laughs> uh, and then Ben Schwartz from Parks and Rec, among many other things, uh, are two Comic? of. Two of probably the 
top, I don't know, 100 or so improvisers on the planet. Uh, they're both unbelievably talented at both short form and long, and they have been uh, working a duo act for years in L.A. Uh, and it's, you know, it's become quite the event to to go to one of their shows at Largo in L.A. or wherever, uh, like bigger venues that they're playing. Uh, and that's pretty rare, like a, a two man improv show that is not uh, at a UCB theater, which, by the way, this does tie into. Uh, because UCB New York had to close its locations because of Corona and they are not reopening them. Oh my God. The UCB uh, was very notably like in a lot of financial trouble because the main four who started it, Besser, Walsh, uh, Roberts, and Amy Poehler did not want to give up control in the company, but also all happened to be very bad at managing money. Mm -hmm. Uh, so they were hurting already. There was uh, a lot of questions about why they don't pay their performers anything at all, uh, why they underpay their teachers and their staffs. Uh, so a lot of people, including people who took their classes and benefited from them, are saying good riddance to UCB New York. UCB LA remains open for now. Um, but this, Jesse David Fox from Vulture wrote a really interesting piece about why this is um, this could signify the future of improv this could be what it looks like in the future because the power in this special is in the hands of the performers yeah um so they yeah they do these long-form shows in which they take one story from one audience member and turn it into an entire act like a, like a the structure the game that they're playing within these shows the amount of scenes is all uh up to them in that moment uh, and these are pretty long shows. I want to say the first one was like 40 minutes uh, to an hour, something like that. Uh, and it's awesome if you like improv. The, the caveat could not be stronger here. It's like improv is a lot like recommending death metal, where <laughs> there's very good death metal if you like death metal. And if you don't, then there's no good death metal. You know. Uh, that said, this is two world-class improvisers who have incredible chemistry and sort of that like psychic bond that you form with like a partner in artistry, like over time, uh, they have so many little, little body language movements and hand signals to signify where they're going with the scene. Uh, they are both playing multiple characters at a time. And also oftentimes they will switch characters if it best fits the scene where like Schwartz will just start playing the guy that middle ditch just was because middle ditch had to move and play a third guy. Uh, incredibly impressive stuff. Uh, and also they just, they have a great dynamic between the two of them. Uh, you would never guess from Jean Ralphio on Parks and Rec, but Ben right. Schwartz in his improv is typically actually the straight man. Um, mm -hmm. He's, he's more, he's, he's better at like keeping a scene's momentum moving forward than he is at insane character work. Uh, not that he's bad at that. He does plenty of that too, but Thomas Middleditch is the one who flies off the handle. Yeah. Uh, and it's extremely entertaining to watch. Uh, if you've ever listened to any of his appearances on the Comedy Bang Bang podcast, you know that he is unbelievably good at this long form improv that uh, oftentimes he breaks the fourth wall a lot more than you're supposed to, more than UCB will tell you to. Uh, and it works fully because his characters are also so uh, well fleshed out. He's, they're both really good at voices, but especially Middle Ditch. Uh, overall, I just I really enjoyed watching this because... There are a lot of, in you know, any larger city, there will probably be an improv theater. And at a lot of these improv theaters, including the one in Orlando, there is a signature two-man act uh, that uh, draws a crowd. Like, we have a two-man act here that uh, is, 
I mean, it's known among the everyone like taking classes there. Uh, but it is like the premiere show of that theater. And this is a good way to experience what the fuck that is, because it's hard to describe. Is you it almost, usually an hour, an hour show? Um, with like, what, and just in general? When it's a two-man show, is it usually an hour long? Uh, it, it, I mean, it totally depends on the theater. Because uh, that's, of- that's what I found the most impressive about Middle Edition Schwartz is that the level of skill... I feel like is required to do this for an hour. Yeah. It's kind of underrated. It takes a decade or more of experience to be able to do this at a high level. It takes a lot of, of grinding and like doing stupid drills and stuff like that because yeah, they have the implicit game, which is the thing that the UCB theater preaches above everything is you have to find the implicit game of any scene because that's where comedy comes from Uh, in long form improv. It's not like whose line where it's like, all right, it's time for scenes from a hat. They're giving them the game in whose line. Yeah. That's why it's short form. Long form, you are in the middle of a larger painting, but you have to find little mini games to play to create comedy. And it's incredible. It is hard shit. It is really hard to do. And they tell uh, a story. That was the other impressive thing is like, I feel like it would be so much easier to just go way off the handle and improvise something that goes to another plane of existence and fi- and suddenly you're in like fantasy Looney Tunes land. But they actually manage to like contain the story that they're improvising and have like setups and payoffs and a through line and arcs. And it's like, yeah, all improvise. And I, I don't want to reveal the, the premise of, of what they, they do in this first episode, but I just was so impressed at how consistently they were making me laugh Mm -hmm. and also that I could follow the story that they were telling. Yeah, the crafts, the the amount of callbacks they managed to wedge in there. Uh, It takes so much associative memory and so much uh, remembering what happened, not just like 30 seconds ago, but also 10 minutes ago. Yeah. It is, it is. And sometimes um, they don't remember and then that becomes part of the joke. (laughs) Yeah, it's just it's really really high level stuff, and I'm happy because there isn't a ton of uh, quality improv that has been captured for the screen that actually is good. That is hard to do. That's why original Who's Line was lightning in a bottle. Yeah, I yeah I definitely am interested in uh, checking it out because you know I'm a big improv guy, big Ben Schwartz guy. Um, I think it's very disrespectful that you didn't acknowledge that he was the star of one of the last uh, major like money-making films that was in a theater before Sonic. Uh, Sonic, yeah, he was in Sonic. Although if you look at Sonic the Hedgehog's poster, his name is nowhere to be found on the poster, despite the fact that he is the man Sonic himself. Um, real quick before we move on, I have some breaking news for you guys um, that is pretty big. Uh, what's going on? I know on? we're moving out of order here, but AMC theaters have announced through the Hollywood Reporter that they will no longer play Universal films in the aftermath of Trolls World Tour pulling all of their movies. Oh my god! That's, this is a real thing that they that AMC that uh, the president and uh, CEO Jeff Shell released like this scathing whole thing. Oh wait, no, see, uh, Jeff Shell is the 
via the NBC Universal. I'm like reading the article as we're doing it, but they're pulling. They refuse to play any Universal Studios yeah. in AMC theater. So that means no Fast and the Furious movies will play in AMC theater. No, AMC is gonna fucking die anyway. Well, AMC is already drowning anyways. But that is pretty big for them to be like, yeah, one of the four major studios that's left in this world we just won't play their movies anymore i love how it's in the in the wake of trolls world tour like will be known as the movie that killed amc theaters like they they actually say it by name the the ceo (laughs) it's war This Regarding is the on-demand success of Trolls World Tour, what it means for the future of movie going. Oh it, my I mean, god! Yeah, that's that's insane. I just I wanted to. Bust I'm out curious to see how this shakes out. Well, to to wrap up Middle Ditch and Swartz, it's on Netflix right now. I really recommend it. I just saw the first episode. There's two, so it's three hour long improv uh, specials, and I feel like we're blessed to have this. Like the point Drew was just making is like, yeah, you don't see this kind of thing. Outside of the realm of podcasting, there's almost zero long form improv in uh, visual media, period. Uh, if you like middle edition shorts, or if you already know that you like long form improv, you can get on YouTube and look up uh, the Cat specials, uh, which is the, it's like basically the hallmark long form show that UCB has put on for years and years. Well, they'll have a monologist who oftentimes is a celebrity uh, come on stage and tell a story and then they do like long form scenes based off of that but even that is they they ran like two or three of these on the bravo network in the early 2000s and then they were like yeah this is a real thing uh just like filmed at a ucb theater starring matt walsh ian roberts matt besser and amy poehler and then like along with like rachel dratch horatio sands just like the best improvisers on the planet uh, and they're really great watches. It's obviously really low quality rips. It's on YouTube. Uh, that's a little tangential reco. And also, I, I feel like something like this just solidifies that improv is not as much of a niche thing anymore. It's reaching a little bit more of a mainstream crowd. So I'm just curious to see if like the the art form will flourish and evolve and grow ucb dying in new york is a huge deal like yeah. that that could not like uh, there are thousands probably hundreds of people who moved to new york to go to ucb classes Yikes. very ill-advised move for all of those people you should not do that please don't do that I mean, i'm really sad because i just went to new york a couple months ago and i wasn't able to go to ucb while i was in new york i had to go to a different comedy club now I'm really sad that I missed my chance to see UCB in New York. Guess I got to go up to LA then. If you ever uh, have spare time, I don't want to run down the laundry list of uh, UCB affiliated performers, but it's a lot longer than you might think. If you just Google people who have attended UCB, taught classes even at UCB, people like Chris Gethard, Horatio Sands, uh, it, it, their, uh, their, like, arm, their outreach over the comedy community has been massive regardless of the, you know, questionable ethics within their company. Uh, it's, it's a big deal for them to shut down in New York. And I don't, I'm not sure what the future holds there. Uh, it's rough, cause, man. Cause they were, they were the big improv theater in New York. Yeah. And not just the theater itself, but like the community, you know, the, the networking of, of talents and, and people. 
Um, but speaking of Thomas Middleditch, I want to shout out a show that he had a little bit part in called You're the Worst. Um, so we've talked about devs and I've brought up Legion and the fact that they're both on FX on Hulu. And another show that you can find on FX on Hulu is You're the Worst. Um, it's a very five, good show. Yeah, five seasons. And it ended about a year ago now. But just this week, I finally finished it, finally finished the fifth season. And I just wanted to give it a, a shout out because it, um, you know, like we talked about in our 2019 wrap up, it was one of the many shows that uh, ended in 2019. And it kind of got a little overshadowed. And I even I didn't even get to it until now. Um, but this last season, I really loved uh, I mean, consistently, this was a great show, um, but the fifth season in particular just became very cinematic, and it was very adventurous in terms of its tone and its visual style and its storytelling. And there's even one episode, I, I believe it is the premiere of uh, of the season, that just features a completely different story with a completely different couple, and it ends up being like this fantasy of the main characters and there's another episode that is it just looks like call me by your name and it just <laughs> like the entire like conceit of it visually is just essentially call me by your name so hunter would hate it then <laughs> yeah. i don't know i don't think i don't know if they actually shot it in europe but they fucking made it look like it was um it's fake erasure right now that's happening <laughs> That I just hate call me by your name. You always say these, you throw these terms at me. There is no Timmy. There is no Timmy cameo. I will give that away. Um, but the, the final episode itself, I just found really compelling because it brings up these really interesting ideas about marriage and what being a quote unquote perfect for each other couple is and what it can mean. And it seemed like the the creator, showrunner, writer, director, uh, Stephen Falk, like he used that finale to become like a, basically like a treatsy, like an essay about his thoughts about relationships. I mean, the whole show is because it's the story about these two people that like shouldn't be together, but they kind of belong together and they're, they bring out the worst in each other. Um, but it also, you know, it has this whole other cast of characters, but particularly that final episode just has me thinking a lot about relationships and marriage. And there's like even an extended monologue or I guess dialogue between the two main characters uh, that encapsulates a lot of the, the fears that people have about marriage and why marriages fall apart and why it's kind of this insane idea to uh jump into a long a lifelong commitment with another person and like join your lives together and and it's not something that you see a lot of in in shows and and movies to address that in such an honest and and raw way and and kind of air out those anxieties that come with that so i really recommend it if people uh maybe caught a little bit of it and fell off the wagon or maybe you've never seen it it's all on Hulu, on FX on Hulu. It's five seasons. Most of it is really fun and entertaining. 
and comical and hilarious. A lot of darkness. But it gets really <laughs> fucking dark. Yeah. Yeah. yeah the, the main uh, character, Gretchen, who is played by the very talented um, Ayakash, she is a very fucked up person. Depressed, uh, mentally ill, and the show explores that character in such an interesting way where a lot of other portrayals of that type of character would maybe give her like some sort of redeeming quality that makes you fall in love with her or some sort of like massive shift or massive change. And the way they portray Gretchen in this show is it's like, what if you don't get better? What if you're just fucked up? What if that's just who you are? And what if you're just crazy and there's nothing you can do about it? What happens then? And what happens to your relationship? And what happens to your significant other? And how do they respond to the way that you are? Do they accept you? Do they resent you? Do they try to change you? And it's it's rare for a comedy to explore those those themes and those concepts. So I, I just really appreciate you're the worst for for doing that. Really recommend it. Yeah, a lot of great performances from uh, actors that I'd like to see in more things, like Alan McLeod as like the I don't even remember his character, the the dumb like bigger you know chubby dude. Oh no, my god! About. Yeah, he plays He's, Paul. He is in. <laughs> he is incredible. He's a guy that you're like, okay, so where's his where's his like he's a cuck. movie roles. Yeah, he's where's a cuck. his? <laughs> yeah, the cucks are so huge right now. You know, let's get him a movie. Yeah. Oh, um, yeah. I mean, if, if we're going to shout out the extended cast, I mean, they're all, all great. Chris Gere is, of course, Jimmy, the other lead. Uh, Desmond Borges plays Edgar, the kind of best friend. Uh, he ends up having a really interesting arc, too. Uh, Cather Donahue as Lindsay. I've mentioned the- this before. Oh, yeah. Go ahead. Oh, I was going to say, I've mentioned this before, I think, on pod, but a lot of the dynamics of You're the Worst are extremely similar to BoJack. Mm-hmm. Uh, just Even less... the design of his house is a yeah, lot like it's, it, The main star, yeah, is, is a male, you know, tortured artist type creator uh, yeah. in L.A. who, yeah, is struggling to maintain relationships, and he has a bum best friend who lives in his mansion. Exactly. Like, it's very, and it deals a lot in, like, mental illness and depression in addition to just goofy comedy. Yeah, I I will say I think BoJack is better. Um, it is. I mean, there's also just a lot more room to play in BoJack. Yeah, exactly. It's the, it's a the breath, the breadth of comedy that it can do is is a lot wider. But that's you're the worst. Again, it's on it's on Hulu right now. Uh, FX, um, check it out. The next thing I want to shout out, just real quick. Uh, actually, two things. One super quick. I rewatched Blade Runner, masterpiece, the final cut. One of those movies that just gets better and better every time I see it. Uh, obviously, I'm a sucker for 2049. I think that one is is better. But goddamn, that OG Ridley Scott is just fucking incredible, man. And hey, fucking you know who good. agrees? You know who agrees with you that 2049 is better than the original? Ryan Johnson. Really? Anyway. Okay. Thank yeah, you. Ryan, Ryan. Johnson uh, made a whole tweet thread of sequels that are better than the original and controversially put 2049 on there yeah i mean it's just because like narratively uh the original blade runner doesn't really have a lot of depth to it it's so perfect because of the visual style and how like pioneering it was with the the 
the way it looks and sounds. Mm. But the story, I mean, the the world is intricate, but the story is just like, hey, it's a guy, he's got to kill these other guys, and that's about it. Um, the first one might also be worse because it doesn't have Jared Leto in it. Oh, fuck. That's, that's a key thing. That's why. I just go back and I just watched the Jared Leto scenes of 2049. Like, all like 45 seconds of them, like, every time, like once a week. I fucking hate him. Yeah, he's, he's, he's ice sucks. cold take. It's like it's not even worth saying anymore. But him did you guys see? He hosted his cult. Did, did you guys see he hosted like a parasite live watch on Twitter? Ew. I was like, what are you doing, man? Have you even I, seen the movie? He seems, he seems like the type of guy who's just like, yeah, the poor people are parasite. I get it. So the <laughs> the other thing I wanted to shout out is I saw Total Recall for the first time in forever. Oh my God, this movie rules. Uh, have you guys seen this recently or ever? Not in like a million years. Not since I was like yeah. six years old. Yeah, like I, I remember I from when- I was like 15, 16, but it has been a while. No, this movie kicks ass. Yeah, I, I remember so vaguely from when I was a kid, obviously the scene of Arnold's eyes popping out of his head. Like you can't forget that. But the the thing I wanted to bring up is like, I, you know, with in my Cameron watch through, I, I haven't done a, 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 I don't have a Cameron update, but I guess I did a little bit of a sidestep this week and a little bit of an Arnold watch through with uh, Total Recall. Um, I'm like branching off tangentially, but side quest. Yeah, side quest, exactly. But this movie, it's just like, it's 1990 and it's like the, this perfect nexus of like horror and comedy. And at the perfect moment in Arnold's career, where he's like, just mad, this was a year before T2. So he's a massive action star, but he's also proving to be really viable as a comedy actor too. So this movie is like, just disgusting with its creature effects and its, and its practical effects design. It is just so graphic and so gory, but it's also hilarious. And the sounds that Arnold makes in this movie, <laughs> like most of his dialogue is just like, gah, 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 gah. that's a good Arnold. That's a, that's a good Arnold. <laughs> and he has like great one-liners too. Like there's the famous one where he's like, consider it a divorce. After he shoots his ex-wife in the head or whatever, his fake wife, because it's all like, implanted memories or whatever that's the downside of this movie is that like the plot gets a little bit mushy but it is fun to be kind of like guessing what's real and what's not what's an implanted memory what isn't so it is fun to kind of be in that like little back and forth and the in the twists and turns and just the world that we see here all of like the weird mars mutants and the future tech um, and again, the practical effects in this movie, I sent a screenshot to our, our film chat a couple days ago of this like disgusting, like mutant baby creature that comes out of this guy's belly. And it is some of the most disturbing, gross shit I've ever seen. And just to think that like somebody designed that and built that, and it just puts to shame all of the CGI noise that we're used to in the modern area of film. 
Are you going to sidestep your way into a Paul Verhoeven uh, watch through? Mm, yo, Basic so, Instinct. Ro- Robocop, Basic Instinct, Starship Troopers, Hollow Could Man. Could be chill. Could be chill. Girls, you know. Oh, my God. Girls in there. Our boy, Cal McLaughlin. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Woof. Um, all right. <laughs> yeah, so Total Recall and You're the Worst. That's all I've been watching. Let's wrap it up with you, Hunter. All right, so I only have uh, one thing on my docket of things that I've been watching. And it seems like if you go on Twitter every Sunday, it's the only thing that anyone is watching. And that is uh, The Last Dance. The story of Michael Jordan's final year with the Bulls was originally supposed to come out in July to coincide with the NBA Finals. And... ESPN smartly uh, realized, oh, hey, nobody is watching our channel now because there's no sports there happening, uh, aside from showing NBA players playing horse with each other or competing in 2K tournaments with each other. So uh, they smartly moved this up, and uh, it's incredible. Uh, It's already, I've seen, they're releasing two episodes a week, uh, so they just they just sent out a three and four this past Sunday and I mean this is already shaping up to be one of the best documentary series just for my personal taste that I've ever seen it's inarguably one of already going to be one of the best sports documentary series ever made um but it's still pretty early on they're smartly doing a lot of the table setting in the first few episodes so the first one first episode really focuses on michael's upbringing going through his days at north carolina winning a national championship and then coming into the league second episode focuses on scotty pippen third episode on dennis rodman the fourth episode on phil jackson uh just to kind of give a lot of people more context of their upbringing where they came from and how they established themselves and their legacy they also do a lot of things because we haven't even really gotten into Michael Jordan's last season so much yet we'll have like a little bit maybe it's about 50 minute episodes or so 50 to an hour long episodes um and of those about 15 minutes or so 15 maybe 20 will be the the season that they're focusing on the rest of it will be going back through uh, the, like, kind of just through the rise of the Bulls from Michael Jordan getting drafted up until episode four ends with them winning their first championship over the Lakers. Um, But it's just, it's so fascinating. I mean, I know a lot about the Bulls. I, of course, Space Jam was one of my childhood favorite movies of all time. So always a big MJ guy anyways, but I was like five when he won. I was like four when he won his last NBA championship. So it's not like I was like there and following the team as this was all happening. So to kind of go back in time through all this is incredible. I mean, episode three focuses on Dennis Rodman, who is one of the most fascinating individuals uh, of his time. He was a person who like kind of played with gender identity and like, brought to the front mental health awareness and all these kind of ideas 20 years before that was actually in the mindset, especially for athletes who are supposed to be these hyper tough individuals for them to be 
able to be open and talk about these things. Um, it goes into one of my favorite bits that's happened was there's a sequence that happened in Michael Jordan's last year with the Bulls in which uh, they had Dennis was just like came to the team in the middle of the season was just like I need a vacation, and Phil Jackson was just like All right, uh, you have 48 hours. Uh, just don't go to Vegas and come right back after 48 hours. Uh, so he went to Vegas. He did not show up after 48 hours, and Michael Jordan had to come to his hotel room, and he's in the hotel room with Carmen Electra, who uh, they <laughs> Carmen. They are also some incredible talking head interviews that they have in this thing because this from the also, 90s or modern. Modern. They'll do like modern day, like talking to them now, and Carmen's just like, I didn't know what to do, so I just like threw a sheet over my head and hit on the couch, like acting like you were pretending like you wouldn't see me, like I was asleep. Um, but like Dennis Rodman also dated Madonna for a period of time. So he's a fascinating dude. I think episode four might be my favorite of the series so far. Um, it really focuses on Phil Jackson, who is one of the biggest chillers of all time, as far as, uh, any really of just anybody. He's this guy who like grew up in this small town, very Christian, and it like never really appealed to him to like be praying all the time in case the apocalypse came. So now he he just went like pure Zen Buddhist and like went to all these Native American reservations and would like try and get in touch with nature and the auras of the universe. He wrote a book uh like a, back in the 90s, maybe early 2000s in which he talks about whenever he was uh a player himself, he like did acid and all this kind of stuff. Um, but it's just, it's such a cool show already so far. And we haven't even really gotten into Jordan as a person, uh, like especially the dark side of Jordan, which is one of the main draws to the show. And why it took so long to get made was to get Jordan to sign off on this because Jordan had a very, very bad gambling problem. And a lot of people a lot of uh, conspiracy theorists out there think that he was forced out of the league the first time that he retired because he was in such massive debt with loan sharks that some people think that it was actually loan sharks that killed his father while he was playing. Like it Jesus is Christ. all kinds of serious shit. And there's like these little moments that have come up so far where he'll be just like on a plane and just like, you can just see like the real Jordan, just like ruthless, just like, yeah, who wants to make a bet? Let's make a bet. Yo, yeah, I got that hundred dollars. You want to try and win it back right now? Like little things like that, that it's just, you're just seeing the underbelly of it. And I can't wait to see where this series goes. From here. Yeah, I'm really, that was one of my biggest questions about it. Cause I haven't seen it yet. Obviously I'm going to, uh, but I was wondering because obviously this got made because it has Jordan's approval and like heavy involvement in the project. Uh, but Michael Jordan is relatively speaking overall, like a very bad person. So uh, even if they talk about like his issues that like you could excuse, you know, you could excuse gambling as a literal addiction. Are they going to talk about how he is a bad guy <laughs> who is, well, is shitty to everyone on earth? I mean, they are right now. I mean, also, I should say Jason Hare is directing this. Uh, he directed some of the best 
30 for 30s for ESPN that they ever made, specifically the Fab Five, which I think is my favorite 30 for 30 that they made about the Michigan uh, college basketball. Yeah, incredible documentary. Um, But he is very good at narrative storytelling. And the way this is setting up right now is the bad guy of this whole series so far is Jerry Krause, who's the GM of the Bulls, who was the one who basically after six championships in nine years said, I'm good. Let's, you got to go. We have to get Jordan out of here. We have to get fired. Excuse me. We have to fire Phil Jackson. <laughs> um, talking through burps like I'm John Mulaney. Um, but I have a feeling that as this series is going to go along, that narrative might shift a little bit into seeing that, oh, maybe Jordan isn't such a great guy after all. You I mean, hope so. they, they won't go all in. In the same way that they are going all in, like whenever somebody, they talk all this shit about Jerry Cross, he's also the reason why they got Sky Pippen and probably the reason why they won these championships, which they have, they do acknowledge in that. And I think that this is, it's going to be, a show about very complex individuals because everybody yeah. in this on this team and just everybody in life is just very complex you aren't just a good guy or a bad guy you have all these layers to you michael jordan like he i was i've been watching this series with my girlfriend gaia and they get into there's a series because for the Bulls, before they ever got to the finals, they had to get past the Bad Boys Pistons, which were this team, absolutely ruthless, the dirtiest team ever. Like they would like shove you to the ground. They tried to injure players all the time. And game seven, they had a chance to go to the finals for the first time. And Scottie Pick- Pippen had really bad migraines and couldn't play the game. And migraines are a very real thing that affect lots of people. And if you ever have a bad migraine, the idea of being in an arena with 80, 60,000, however many people screaming and under the bright lights and you're sweating and moving around, that sounds like the biggest nightmare ever. So it's understandable. But as soon as like they're talking about the game, Jordan just like scoffs and is just like, yeah. Because he's a guy who's all about winning. It's like he has, I don't know if he's ever seen the movie Whiplash, but I feel like he is the type of guy who'd be like, yeah, J.K. Simmons is right in this movie. He is yeah. the year. It's truly, yeah, that's what I'm, because when I heard that they were focusing so much on Krause as the villain, I was like, oh, so Jordan's villain is the villain. This is Jordan's series, which, you know, I'd like for them to get into him being a shithead. I think hey. they will. I think that's why it's 10 episodes long. It's 10 hours. We haven't, like I said, we haven't even really gotten into all the stuff that is this season which what's fascinating about this was nba entertainment at the time had unbelievable access to this team like access that no team has ever had before and ever will have where there were people that were just with the nba that had camera crews and these guys that followed the team everywhere that they went and individual players everywhere that they went um Apparently, Bill Clinton and Barack Obama were interviewed for yep. this documentary. Yeah, they're in it. Of course, Obama is in it because uh, he's a Chicago guy, and he talks about how he like how he was like struggling to afford to go to games whenever Michael Jordan <laughs> and everything else. That's great. He's in the Sky Pippen episode because Sky's from Arkansas, 
and Bill Clinton like saw Scotty early on as like a guy who played for like Central Arkansas or whatever. So it is it is cool like on the Epstein Lolita Express. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. Uh, Jordan was on there too. Oh uh, no, Jordan! <laughs> I think Jeffrey Epstein did get interviewed before. He, uh, <laughs> <laughs> they got him. an interview from prison. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Uh, before we wrap up, I have some questions about the production and release of this because you mentioned that this was moved up, right? Like it was supposed to come yeah. out early or later in the year. So yeah. because there's no sports on right now, this is getting like pretty good viewership. I mean, it's not getting like NBA viewership, but it's like 5 million viewers per episode. That That is NBA viewership. It, okay. No, getting, I was say, yeah, that's big time. Pretty, it's getting pretty incredible viewership. It's the most watched thing on live TV from the last two months, I think. Yeah, because there's nothing else on. Because there's nothing else on. So it is getting a ton of eyes. And that's just in live viewership where that's not even counting, of course, everybody on, uh, everybody's catching up on Hulu or on demand. Well, no, that was the other thing that I was going to bring up is like, apparently uh, this is a partnership between ESPN and Netflix. And Uh, it's airing on ESPN only in the United States. And then the very next day, it goes on Netflix everywhere outside the US. Mm-hmm. So it's interesting that like Netflix is embracing the weekly release model for this and not pushing to dump it all at once because you know, you're building that story week to week and you have the conversation spread out. And like Netflix doesn't really like to do that usually. Only a couple of shows and they don't, whenever they do it, it doesn't actually really work like it does for other people. So I, I, I wonder if it's, this seems to be working. So I wonder if they'll do more of things like this. Well, it does make sense too, because of course there is no sports, not just in America, but all over the world. Everybody is craving sports right now and also i mean jordan was one of the first true international stars episode one starts where they go to a like an exhibition game in france and people were just like fawning over him like there's a guy it's it's almost sad because there are like already these moments where you realize that michael jordan is more looked at like an object than he is as a human being like there's like a french player who they just like played against they kick their ass or whatever and like he's just like can i have this and just like rips an armband like off of his body like there's like using him like just like a true object like he has no actual value as a human being and he doesn't really have friends his friends are like his friends in quotations are his like security guards that have oh, to be with him all the time it's That's really sad. tragic yeah, yeah. All right. Well, I wanna I wanna hear more when um when it wraps up. It sounds super interesting. I think that there's enough there, especially in the first enough table saying that happens that even if you were interested, that you could check it out. I mean, I mean it's it's fucking Michael Jordan. Like <laughs> Michael Jordan like transcends sports. Like he is it's like him and like maybe Muhammad Ali are just the most well known athletes of all time. Yeah. Like you don't have to be a person who follows the sport to know about their impact on society. So that's The Last Dance, a 10-part documentary event. Uh, so big deal, you know, that they're, that they're uh, building the conversation and the hype around this as the, the NBA is on full pause. So um, hopefully we'll get sports back sooner rather than later. 
Um, but in the meantime, that's all we got for you on this episode. Please check out our pop culture trivia special uh, coming at you or maybe already come out um, if this one comes out after. And uh, please follow us online on social media, Twitter, Letterboxd, Instagram, Facebook. Uh, email us at webottomike at gmail.com. Send us a voicemail, anchor.fm slash mic. You can also support us uh, with a monthly donation. So shout out to Brett and Brian. Thank you so much, guys, for your monthly donations. And next week is May. Um, happy May next week. We don't know what's coming at you. I'm really glad that we got that out in advance of May. Yeah. You know, honestly. Next week is my birth month. So, like, if you're already a donor, why don't you just go ahead and put a little birthday surprise in there? Hey, your birthday's a, a week from today, right? It's a week from Thursday. Week from Thursday. Um, yeah. We're recording on Tuesday. Um, but uh, if you are not a donor, just go ahead and just float me an extra. I'm turning 152. So, if you guys want to put $152 mm-hmm. on that anchor, um, then I can buy myself a mic. Finally. Yeah. All right. Thanks for listening. We love you. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye.